Shepherding Chaos, the Retail 247 podcast. Embracing change in the world of retail tech. Hello, I'm Martin Skinfield. Welcome to episode two of Shepherding Chaos, a gentle look at all things retail technology. In this episode, we are again joined by Alan Morris, an original founder of Retail Assist and now non-exec director at Retail247. And we're going to tackle the subject of customer service, how technology can underpin consistent and empowered customer service. Alan, my actual view in this area is that retail should be a career and not just a job. A good salesperson can make a massive difference to sales. And a, and a quick story to illustrate that. When I left uh, Debenhams at the end of the 90s, uh, to join Burberry. I thought, ooh, posh company, better go get myself a decent suit. So rather than uh, heading to the Debenhams suits department, I went to a boutique around the corner, a men's boutique. Um, I set myself a budget, I think it was 500 quid back in the day, which is quite a lot of money, uh, to buy a, a suit that would be acceptable to the Burberry world. Uh, uh, I went in there, uh, and long story short, I left having bought a shirt, uh, sorry, a suit, two shirts, two ties, a pair of shoes, uh, to the point where the guy serving me, you know, looked me up and down at one point and said, sir, could do with some new shoes to go with that suit. And the point of the story is I left having thought I'd received marvellous customer service and I left having spent twice as much as I anticipated. So that was single guy, because he knew the product, because he talked to me, uh, you know, it made me spend more. So my point here is that in the physical world, technology should only be used to empower service enabling interaction with the customer. This guy I talked about didn't need any, but today we can perhaps empower the masses with the, the collective wisdom of the few really good salespeople we have. So Alan, how do you see technology enabling customer service? It's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting uh, interesting story that you've, uh, you tell and, and one that I think most people can, uh, can associate with. Um, and it's sadly lacking in, because uh, good customer service in my opinion is sadly lacking in most retail outlets today. But to actually answer your question about what uh, the role that technology will play, I think technology underpins good customer service, or it should underpin good customer service, by providing data that can be used in a physical store environment to keep along your, uh, your storyline of, of supporting the person who's actually interacting with the customers. So the idea that you've got consistent product information, good product information, it goes beyond description to actually give the uh, the salesperson some narrative to talk to the customer about. And then, of course, having consistent pricing information, uh, having accurate stock information, um, having uh, accurate uh, information about fulfillment options and, and so forth. So customer service in a physical environment provided by a very competent and uh, sales professional um, technology can certainly help that sales profession in their quest to make a sale. Yeah, I think it was, um, actually going back to Debenhams again, John Horner, who was chief exec of Debenhams at the time when I was there, I remember him in a presentation saying, if, if we could deliver technology to take the, the knowledge of the top 5% of his salespeople or, or his buying people or whatever department we were talking about at the time and, and encapsulate that into technology to deliver to the rest, then, you know, then we'd make millions. So it was about taking the best, systemizing that in a way, but then giving it to the others to enable that same level of high service everywhere. Um, and yeah, to your point about having data accessible and, and the services accessible, I completely agree with. Um, you know, and we, we have, to a certain extent, 
dumbed down the role of the sales professional uh, and really we need to address that. You know, uh, Harvey Nichols, um, I was on the board at Harvey Nichols and many a time we talk about how we were represented by the people on our shop floor. They were the best thing that made the biggest difference to customer service and we were all about customer service. Then the next agenda item would be, you know, can we afford to pay minimum wage? And, and, there's, and there's a massive difference between what we expect from the people on the shop floor as to, as to what we um, you know, are prepared to pay them for, basically. And we've, to a certain extent over time, we've then used technology to try to supplement that gap uh, in, in service provision. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, in, in some countries around Europe, if, you know, being in a customer service environment is a profession or, uh, for, for lots of people, where, you know, whether you're working in a restaurant or in a shop, it's a profession, something that you train or something you train for and something that you uh, you stick with and you progress through the, uh, the various levels within the, uh, the organisation. But actually, you're still in a customer service role. Whereas I think there tends to be a tendency here. You might be right about the dominion wage that it tends to uh, sales roles in stores tend to be filling jobs, and you know, they need to be seen as more than that. Retailers. Yeah, I, I tend to call it. I tend to talk about a job rather than a career. Exactly. But, but when you when you consider that, you know, when you consider the plight of the high street where footfall is down, and I'm obviously talking, I'm excluding the current time in footfall at the moment on the high street is uh, non-essential retailers is zero because we're recording this in uh, in the middle of lockdown too, but. If we just smooth out the, uh, the greater we could smooth out the uh, the COVID pandemic and go back to to last year, yeah, the high street footfall was was, was falling, um, number of shops was falling. Therefore, they, when people come through the door, it's absolutely critical that conversion rates increase and average transaction values increase. And, yeah, and go yeah. back to your analogy of your Savile Row uh, tailor. Or wherever the tailor was, yeah. so that's well, that guy. Yeah, that guy. His conversion rate was obviously high, and his average show. You went in and spent five hundred pounds on a suit, and ended up spending probably double that on all yeah. the costumes you've got. So, you know, to, to me, if you've got to offset falling um, falling numbers coming through the door, you offset that by increasing conversion and increasing ATV. Yeah, and then the trick of that guy also, as well as doubling my, my spend, I left thinking, yeah, I'll go there again. That was great service. I mean, I didn't because I, I went to Burberry and got a massive discount, but um, <laughs> that's not the point. The, it's the trick of, you know, of getting more for the business, but also giving more to the customer. But you can't just you can't just turn around somebody and say you're you're a salesman or a sales a salesperson now. You've got to go out there. You've got to sell because. Yeah, you've got to be able to give the person the tools they need. That brings us back to technology. Technology's got a big part to play in that. Yeah, there's a term that's used a lot, which I, I don't particularly like. The term, I don't. I, the principle is fine. It's the term I don't like, which is clienteling. You know, the, the fact that you've got a device in your hand that you can take the customer through a journey and show them through a, a storybook about a particular product. You know, you can imagine your back in the day when you bought your uh, your suit. We can imagine the salesman showing you through various catalogues of, of, of ideas and so forth. That that's a great use of technology to increase the chance of selling something and increase the chance and uh, increase the value of what they're what they're selling. Yeah, you know, I, I over the years I, I've I've done uh, I've been involved in a number of projects, a lot of projects looking at improving customer experience, uh, looking improving the customer experience. 
And I've looked at the different measures that people put in place to uh, to measure customer experience. And yeah, we were talking about this before, but one of our joint pet hates is when you walk out of an environment and there's a, uh, a smiley face, a non-plus face, and a miserable face, and you press whichever one you're left with the expert in. How did the experience leave you feeling? And, and the reality is, you press the smiley face. Well, did you buy anything? And if you didn't buy anything, then yeah, well, how does a retailer interpret that, that data? We've got great customer experience because nine out of ten people press the smiley face. Well, how many? How much did we sell to them? Oh, yeah, no, indeed. Yeah. And just picking up on your earlier point, when we got these sort of, you know, I should say, client-side systems or, or systems that are enabling that technology. To, to, to engender that feeling of either happy or sad. Those those technologies have to deliver. So it's no use just having technology deployed, I don't know, to, sh- to show what stock's available uh, in the store or the warehouse if you can't then rely on that as an accurate uh, interpretation of stock or the ability to get that stock to the customer. So it has to be a comprehensive, comprehensive and, and to use the obvious expression, omni-channel experience for that customer. So you have to be able to use the technology to deliver value. Well, I think you know, all te- all technology, regardless of, of where it sits in the in the uh, in the, the product journey or the customer journey or, or wherever it sits in the uh, in the infrastructure, should be cost justified. Uh, yeah, you know, if it if it costs X, then it should deliver Y as a benefit, and Y should always be higher than X. Mm, and it's sometimes it's difficult. It is difficult to do that. And difficult to be held accountable for it as a, as a project team. But actually, in something that's supposed to drive sales, where yeah, we believe that introducing this device will increase conversion rates by this much, and it will increase average transaction values by this much, you can actually prove that whether it's working. You can prove whether it's working or not quite easily by just looking at the figures, can't you? Yes, you can. Um, I think of, of all those things, sales is the worst measure. Um, there are so many influencing facts on sales. If I had a pound for every time I'd justified a project based on a sales increase, I'd be, I'd be wealthier by now. Um, but things like ATV, um, certainly, you know, as a, as a direct measurement are great. In fact, I'll just I'll expand on that a bit. I think sales as a valid measure of success is a bit questionable in the first place. Um, and you mentioned the conversion thing earlier. Um, the only true measure of how well you're doing is conversion, to my mind. I mean, I might have 100 people in the store and sell £100 that day. Uh, the following day, I might sell £200 and be patting myself on the back, but I might have had 1,000 people in the store that day, therefore I've, I failed. I, I didn't serve 900 people. Um, so so to the combination of conversion and, and transaction achievement is, is the only valid measure, really. Yeah, it is. And actually, yeah, just to take your, your point, I mean, the days of, yeah, of, of having uh, many, many customers in the store are, uh, are perhaps, yeah, for for majority of retailers, it's probably dwindling. Uh, it, well, it's, it's gone, hasn't it? It's not, it's not just dwindling. So therefore, it makes the customers you do get in the store even more important. You can convert them to sales even more important. You drive up the average transaction value. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's, it's it's your marketing effort, your reputation, your image uh, that gets somebody into the store in the first place. You've done all that hard work. You got somebody over the threshold, and you got to do two things. You got to sell to them. So you got the act of measuring that conversion and the efficiency of your sales force, or or, or the or the the the, the, <clears throat> the quality of your stock or the reputation of your stock the combination of the activity that you do in the store to convince that customer to buy something <laughs> and then the, then the other factor of play just to finish off is actually then is more of an operational um, um, consideration 
if you've made all that effort to get them into the store, you've made all that effort to get convince them to buy something, and then you haven't got their size, or you can't get it for them, then you've again failed. You've failed for the last third. You've failed because of the inefficiency of your supply chain or the, or the level of accuracy of stock you have in the store. So you really need to focus on all three, and then the whole three make the journey to success. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's a very valid point. And uh, I was reading your uh, your article um, the other day about life in the 1990s. It got me back thinking to my own time in the 1990s. And uh, and I and I was working in a, a large retailer just sort of a, a management training program. And I went to a meeting where where the um, the, the merchandise department, the retail ops department, and uh, various other was a heads of department meeting that I was sitting in on. And uh, the the guy from the uh, retail ops team, uh, they were they were saying sales sales were down, sales were where they were expected. And his only retort back to seem to every question is, "We can only sell what we've got. We can only sell what we." So basically saying that, yeah, when people come in and want a medium, and we've only got large and small, we can't sell it. You know. I mean, going back to uh, when you look at uh, your uh, traditional uh, traditional sales uh, salespeople working traditional stores, I'm sure they used to make yeah, it's probably get away with yeah. it. Loose fitting is in this season, sir. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but fundamentally, it goes back to yeah, your original question about the roles that systems play. I mean, providing stock accuracy. Um, is absolutely critical, ensuring that the ranges are complete. Yeah, it goes all the way back to the the, um, the, the, the pre-season planning phase, all the way through. Systems have got a role to play. And it's not just a case of, you know, we, well, yeah, we've got a system that does that, we've got a system that does that, we've got a system that does that. These systems have actually got to be working with a common objective. The common objective has got to be that we've got to have the right product in the right place at the right price, all that, you know, that sort of stuff, which most people might say retail's changed. It hasn't changed that much. Uh, yeah. I'd add a fourth one to that, because <coughs> I agree with what you said, but the, the thing that has changed is then the ability to fulfil where you haven't got that. With the best one in the world, planning is a planning is a best guess, a best guess at a point in time. You can never factor in all the influencing factors that will um, no, no. dictate what's sold from where and when. And therefore, you have to have the, the replenishment solutions or the ability to reforecast on the fly to get that stock there. Or more importantly, in the world of Omnichannel, you have to have the ability to then get that customer, that product, the next day if you haven't got it where they want it to be. So you need to close, close the loop of getting the, the product to the customer. Because in these days, when you know, people are used to buying stuff off Amazon and anywhere else online, yeah, next day delivery is seen as good, as in yeah. uh, acceptable. Whereas if you, historically, you know, you want it there and then, and you went into a store that didn't have it, then you know, would, would be a failure. But now, if, if that store fails, but can then say, I can get it to you tomorrow, that's deemed to be good service. Well, it is. It is deemed to be good service. Yeah, for, and it also, yeah, it's uh, it's another area where good system support will will actually ensure that happens. You know, the, the days of actually having to go off and make numerous telephone calls yeah. to find where the stock is, yeah, th those days have gone. Yeah, it, the idea of actually having a device in the store with access to uh, to the, um, the, the the good quality data that we can uh, we can make available can mean that a sale can happen regardless of whether you're stood in a store in Nottingham and the product you want in Liverpool. Like you say, by tomorrow morning, it could be delivered directly to your house or delivery delivered back to the store or, or whatever option best suits the customer's uh, requirements. 
Um, there's absolutely no uh, no reason in this day and age why I should walk into one store and miss a sale if that say if that product exists somewhere in the in the environment of that retailer in another store in the warehouse wherever it might be I should be able to get it uh, equally if I'm buying online I should be able to get it yes absolutely cool. and that that's just that's um, um, stepping into the world of making sure that you've got all your stock available everywhere. So yeah. the provision of stock that's, that's effectively stuck in your stores for online fulfillment as well is vital to that, that comprehensive omnichannel approach. But that's got to be, that's now got to be a, a given for, for every retailer. Uh, every retailer should be able yeah. must yeah. provide that service to a customer. I yeah. Mean, I mean, sorry. I was going to say, stock is a hugely vast, uh, valuable asset. Uh, you probably, you're most, you're, apart from the people, obviously, you're, you're, you're physically most valuable asset. And, and to leave that languishing in a store somewhere that, you know, a few weeks down the line is going to take a massive hit on markdown. Uh, it's just silly when you think about it. So we have to do, uh, we have to implement systems that let you fulfill from everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's, that's the obvious omnichannel approach. But we also have to make, you know, the best stuff of putting it in the right place in the first place, as you say, and that's the planning piece, but also the replenishment piece. And I'll go one step further. Stuff we've been working on and talking about is, is making the next leap of replenishment and saying, let's look at it at a more granular level. We have the ability these days to, to you know, process data much more um, um, you know, speedily than we ever had before and to hold masses of data um, to look at. So why shouldn't we look at external influencing factors? Why shouldn't we say that people in Newcastle like green things if it's hot the previous Wednesday and start to position our stock um, yeah. more appropriately and more intelligently? I was chatting to uh, to a retailer earlier in the week, and we were talking about the uh, the planning cycles, you know, traditional planning cycles of uh, of pre season and in season. And uh, so he was saying that actually there is there is still a bit of pre season, but actually it's one cycle now. You have to keep planning all the way through, and and using data as predictive uh, predictive analytics. Where you do keep changing, you do keep moving, uh, moving stock around, or you, you know, yeah. changing prices, or you know, dealing with demand, dealing with you know, changes in demand is, is something which retailers are going to have to get have to get used to. This is the need for flexibility, and, and one thing that you know, the COVID uh, the COVID crisis, uh, the COVID pandemic has, uh, has flagged up is this need to be able to be react very, very quickly to things that you may not even have seen coming left or right of field, let alone things you could have reasonably planned for. Yeah. I, I'm going to, to illustrate that point to its extreme, because um, absolutely varies retail by retailer by retailer, depending on the value of your product. Uh, you know, at Harvey Nichols, where we might have only bought three of a £3,000 prior address uh, to sell across the estate, um, you know, selling that, having, sorry, having accuracy and awareness of what that stock position was, whether it was three or, two, three or two, made a massive difference. The ability to sell that from wherever it was is fundamental because if you sold one online, um, you know, distance selling regulations dictate that the customer has, what, seven days, or last time I looked, seven days to notify of your return uh, and 21 days to return it. So you've got a £3,000 dress that's out of circulation for up to 21 days. Um, it's going to, then going to come back to the DC. It's got to be cleaned potentially, uh, depending on the state. It's going to be put back into the supply chain to get to back to a store. And all that time, you're getting nearer and nearer 
a sale period. And, and these days where, you know, retail is becoming, a sales in retail is becoming earlier and earlier, you might suddenly be going to 30, 40, 50% off in a matter of weeks. Yeah. So you've got a £3,000 dress that you've hardly had much of an intent to sell, that you're now selling at half price. Yeah. And in Harvard Nichols terms, when you were at sort of 60% off, you were loss making and, and you transitioned from sale and profit generating um, to a disposal operation. So cognizance and accuracy of data um, and the ability to fulfill from wherever that stock might be is just essential at that level. It is, and actually, I, you know, that's another topic for uh, for another time. Actually, that I, 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 when you look at the traditional product journey and the customer journey, and you look at where the traditional touch points used to be, and then you look at where they are now, and where they could be going forward with the use of uh, of systems and and, and uh, using data then in, to my mind that three thousand pound dress should almost be sold before it's actually in the shop well yes yeah at yeah. that level you can predict potentially who's going to buy it in the first well, place yeah, if, yeah. You, if you i know you know, years ago Bergen did that, um, that private uh, catwalk showing didn't they where they invited uh, certain customers to come along to a catwalk showing to create interest in products that they may or may not have bought and use the customer's uh, view whether to buy products or not so in, a, in, a, in effect they created the desire to acquire even before they bought the stock so by the time the stock was actually available for shipment people wanted to ship directly to their house because you know if you're going to spend three two thousand pounds on a dress you want to wear it right at the beginning of the season when it's meant to be worn yeah, because you need a statement product. It's not like you bought a white T-shirt from Primark, which is a staple product. If you're going to buy a statement product, you're going to buy. You want to see it early. Um, there's a whole new area, a whole other area we can we can talk about another time about yeah, how, yeah. how touch points have changed. Um, yes, um, and actually, just just slightly on that unrelated the technology can add value because if you've also got the challenge of a 40 50 percent returns rate for an online sale of women's wear then you know why shouldn't you sell that no knowing that it's on its way back for a customer if you see what i mean so i've got my stock pool i've sent it all out i know 40 percent of it's going to come back therefore i can potentially offer that for resale before i've even received the stock back yeah. start, start to look at how i can generate enough enough um, activity so I can, it's all about selling at full price or, or as near to full price as you can so anything you can do to have that stock available even if it's like a three to five delivery day um, service rather than the next day delivery service because you know it's on its way back let's yeah. let's sell it sell as much as we can anyway yeah selling as much as you can at full price has, has got to be has got to be the solution I, I mean another another area that i'd like to uh, i'd like to explore further at another time is 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 returns yeah, yeah. I, I i know returns the return volumes uh, are, are dropping, um, but they are still high. And and really, another role that uh, technology can play in you know, AI is actually in, by improving um, uh, fit information and working with customers to understand their particular fit requirements. Okay. So actually, you could reduce the the number of returns, which means that. You're adding, uh, you're adding points and the, uh, the, mar- the, uh, the margins, aren't you? Which... I made a note, Alan. We'll pick it up another time. Yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to bring this to conclusion quite shortly. I know last time yeah. we, we talked probably for, we waffled a little bit too long, I think. So I think we'll, we'll wrap this up very shortly. We Whether I'd want to listen to us drone for 40 minutes is a different yeah. question. But so we're going to wrap it up now. I think in, so I think in summary, uh, what we've got to is that, that 
yes, technology has a role to play, particularly in modern retail, uh, but it is there to enable and empower rather than, it's, I'm talking about physical world, um, rather than the digital world, uh, enable and empower uh, rather than replace, if that makes sense. Um, but more importantly, it has to be underpinned with the ability to deliver promise. So if I'm going to offer a service to get something to the next next day delivery, then it has to you know, actually do that. I have to have confidence in being able to deliver that solution. Uh, and I have to underpin that with data and solutions that are accurate and available and real time. So I have to have all the things we've talked about before. I have to have visibility of my product data, my stock data, my customer data. And I have to be able to join that all together in a, in a way that makes um, technology able to empower. Yeah. That's about it. Right, one last question. That bike yeah. can suit you. <laughs> yeah. Have you still got it? Does it still fit? <laughs> it would fit, but I think it's uh, not been confined to, to, to greater use. Country dress. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks, Alan. Okay, cheer. Bye. cheers. Bye. Bye. Shepherding Chaos, the Retail 247 podcast. Join us next time for more tech views and insights from the people who know.